Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Glastonbury podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church. I'm so honored that you would take some time out of your day to dive into the scriptures with us. Let's dive in right now. Hope will never die. This was, uh, I had to look it up because I, I didn't really know where it came from, but this Hope Will Never Die was, it was part of a product launch through Oilers Nation, and, and about eight years ago, they did this product launch, and there was this article that I found uh, all about it, and, um, I, and I think it'll take you back a little bit to this moment. Maybe you'll feel some emotion as I read this. Um, the article says this. It says, tonight is the night you've been waiting for since Bill Daly flipped that golden lottery card with the Oilers logo on it. Tonight is the night we get the chance to watch Connor McDavid play his first game for the Edmonton Oilers and regain the sense of Oilers pride that may have been lost along the way. To say it's been a long wait would be the understatement of the century. We've all been through a lot over these past nine years and miraculously, hope never died. We're an odd bunch, Oilers fans, for nearly a decade, we've been fed lines, watched our team get pummeled on a regular basis, and spent countless hours arguing with each other about the problems facing the franchise. Despite it all, we're all still here, right? We're all still here for the ride. For some reason, Oilers fans have been able to maintain a hope that better days are coming, and tonight is hopefully the beginning of the end of those dark days. Now, eight years later, I don't know yet if it's actually the beginning of the end of those dark days. We, we've been on a bit of a ride and, and it has seemed good and then, and then they just crush your soul. So, but hope will never die, right? Because we're Oilers fans. But did you catch the, the inference in, in that article where it said, it's, there's now hope because of who is here. There's now hope because of who's with us. So much hope was restored to Edmonton because of who was now with us. Because hope is a powerful thing. And apparently with the Oilers, we're, we're still holding on to that. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But when we have hope, we have this, this expectation that now something is actually going to happen. Something good is going to come. And, and there's a trust that's there. And, and that allows for the expectation. And hope is beautiful. And it's, it's uplifting. And it's life-giving. And, and here's the thing. When we have hope, we, we walk and we talk and we act different. Just watch, just watch what happens on a day-to-day -day basis or week-to-week -week as the Oilers play and, and what happens to people when they're winning and what happens to people when they're losing. You can see it. It's visible. You can hear it. It's everywhere. Hope is an important thing. 
And I, and I came across, uh, as, I was, as I was preparing this message, I came across this article that talked about the importance of hope. Why is it so valuable? Why does it matter that we have hope? And it said this, it said, hope reduces feelings of helplessness. It increases happiness. It reduces stress and improves our quality of life. It gives you reason to get out of bed every day. It improves your mental well-being benefits your physical body, helps with the immune system, increases self-worth, self-belief, and your confidence. It reduces sadness and anxiety. Hope is beneficial. But it's not just beneficial. Actually, church, hope is crucial. It is crucial. And today, actually, it's an issue of life and death. And, and all you have to do is, is look at the ever-increasing statistics on suicide rates to know that hopelessness is deadly. And there is an, actually an epic battle going on for your hope. Did you know that? That there is an epic battle waged against your hope. Because there is an enemy who does not want you to live doesn't want you to live at all, but he doesn't want you to live life abundantly. And he, he wants you to give up. He wants you to tap out. He wants you to let go. Anything he can do to get you to not live according to your purpose and according to who God has called you to be. He wants you to stop trusting, stop believing. That is the goal. No hope. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a, a dear friend of mine who was walking through some stuff, and she shared this, um, she shared her position on hope with me, and uh, I found it so relatable, and may, maybe you can relate to this. She said, hope and I have a complicated relationship because hope will hurt you. Hope will hurt you. And for many people, this is the truest statement they've ever known. That there is this inward sense that, that because, because of past experience, because of, of being let down, because of, of, of struggles and, and not being able to push through or get through, having hope, it just, it's just going to lead to disappointment, right? Hope is risky. It's risky, and I know, I know because I've been there, I've lived it, I've lived in a space and a place where you're just literally waiting for the next shoe to drop. And that is a painful place to be in. And it is a very hopeless place to be in. Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And that is such an accurate statement. When you feel hope is lost and there's, there's no hope for a certain situation, you literally feel sick. And you feel tired and you feel frustrated and you feel worn out and you feel defeated. Actually, what it, what it often feels like is a little bit like, a, like being on a roller coaster. Anyone like roller coasters in the room? There's a few, a few of you in here, a few diehards. I used to love roller coasters for the record. Um, and then I had kids and then my body said no. So, um, and, and actually truth be told, I don't even know if he's uh, back in the room yet. 
if you ever want to ask Brett to tell you a great story about roller coasters, you ask him. And because uh, he's not in the room and because I know a couple of weeks ago, he decided to just have a lot of fun on stage because I wasn't here. And he made a point of saying, um, my wife's not here so I can say whatever I want. Well, honey, get ready to tell a fun story that you just love so much about how much you love roller coasters, how much they don't like you. Um, but oftentimes we walk through life and we walk through situations and they start, it starts to feel like you're actually on a roller coaster. And, and there's, there's this sense of being dropped. You know that feeling where you just, like your stomach goes up and you, you feel like you're being dropped and then you feel like you're getting flung from side to side. And, and you go through those tunnels where you can't see the end and it's absolutely terrifying because you have no idea if they're going to drop you or, or what they're going to do. And it feels a little bit like that. Now, typically... When you get on a ride or you get on a roller coaster, they give you some safety instructions, right? To protect you, make sure you stay safe, make sure nothing happens. Um, and so today, what I, what I very practically want to do is just lay out some basic safety instructions for us when it comes to riding this roller coaster and still holding on to hope. How do we remain hopeful? All right. So here are some instructions. Number one, please keep your hands inside at all times, right? That's usually how it starts. Please make sure you don't do this and you're not like, you're not holding your phone and throwing things. And instruction number one, watch your hands. Why do I say that? Why do I talk about your hands? Your hands actually, actually represent what you're holding on to. What am I holding on to? Who or what am I holding on to? Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in a place where hope is a struggle, it's because we very easily fall into the trap of misplaced hope. And misplaced hope at one point or another leads to disappointment. Hope in a person, at one point or another, you're going to be disappointed. Hope in a situation or a specific outcome. Well, we don't always know and we don't get to control the outcomes. And, and so at some point, that will lead to disappointment. Hope in your own abilities. At some point, you're going to disappoint yourself and you're going to disappoint others. And truth be told, hope in a church or in a pastor, let's be honest, we're, we're human beings. We're probably going to disappoint you. It happens. Please, for the love of the Lord, do not hold up pastors on a pedestal. Know that they are people. They are human. They make mistakes. Romans 5, 2 to 5 says this, bless you. Because of our faith, <laughs> because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. 
we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And we've heard often that verse, and we sort of stop there, right? And we think, okay, we can rejoice in trials, and we have to rejoice in all the problems, and it just sort of feels like a, like a heavy But if you read on, this is the important part. It says, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. There is only one who will not lead to disappointment. There is only one who will never let you down. Only one. Romans 15, 13 says this, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Listen carefully. Then you will overflow. Everybody say overflow. You will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that when you look at the definition of source, when it says, when it says God is the source of hope, the source, it says, is a place, a person, or thing from which something originates. Okay, sort of figured that. You know what else it says when you look up the definition? It says this. It says, a spring or fountainhead from which a river or stream issues. And I love the imagery of that because if you, if you see God as the source of hope, he is the originator, he's where it comes from, he's the source, then he is the place from which hope pours out. He is a spring or fountainhead of hope from which a river of hope flows from. Okay, so what does that mean? Sometimes I think we think that when we're in a tough situation or when we're walking through something that is painful or causing us grief or it's the unknown, we think that we have to fight to feel hope, that we have to fight to feel hopeful. Here's the truth. God is the source of hope. And so it's not actually about fighting for hope so much as it is about drawing near to the source and holding on. Watch your hands. It's about holding on to the source. Because he is not far. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is here. He is within reach. Have you ever noticed in scripture that God spends a whole lot of time reiterating and reassuring and reminding his people that he's with them? Have you ever actually paid attention to that? Sometimes we read through scripture, especially in the Old Testament, and we just kind of just like plow through, plow through, plow through. But he says it a lot. And you know someone is passionate about something when they talk about it a lot, like the Oilers. 
We serve a God who relentlessly reiterates over and over and over to his people, I'm with you. Here's just a few examples. In Genesis to Isaac, he says, do not be afraid for I am with you. To Jacob, he says, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. To Moses, he says, I will be with you and then I will personally go with you. To Joshua, they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. To Gideon, I will be with you. To Israel, don't be afraid for I am with you. To Jeremiah, he said, for I am with you and I will take care of you. To Ezekiel, the prophet, in this way, they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And to the people, he said, I am with you, says the Lord. So passionate is our God. So important is it to him that we know he is with us, that he sent his son and named him Emmanuel, God with us. And then side note, our Emmanuel, God with us, (laughs) after he dies and resurrects, right before he ascends to heaven, what does he say? Oh, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He wants you to know he's with you. He's with you, he's with you, he's with you. He will not leave you, he will not forsake you, he is not far away, he is here. And that perspective will change the way that you think. Sometimes you wonder how in the world is it even possible that he is here, and yet he's in heaven, and yet he's He's, he's everywhere, right? And, and we know that, that God, he's omnipresent. If you haven't heard that before, it just means he is everywhere at all times. And that thought alone will break your brain. So you sort of just have to let it go and accept it as truth. He is everywhere at all times. And one pastor said it like this. He said, since I can't imagine a place where God isn't, I might as well imagine him with me. There is no place that he is not. So how could he possibly not be with you? He's with you. He's with you. And this thought is actually backed up in scripture. Psalm 16 verse 8 says, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. He's right beside you. And not only is he right beside you, but like a roller coaster, so you you can hold on to him beside you, like a roller coaster, guess what? He's also like that bar that holds you in. You know that one that, that they make lock into place and they make you check it and wiggle it and make sure it's like locked in, locked in? And he's like that protective bar that you hold on to and you white knuckle it the whole way, but you're holding on for dear life. And that keeps you locked safely into place. Hebrews 6.19 says, This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for your souls. So you are anchored, you are tethered, and all you need to do is hold on and don't let go. Watch your hands. Don't let go. 
Okay. Um, so does anyone remember at West Edmonton Mall, the, the roller coaster, the Mindbender? Has anyone ever been on the Mindbender? Yeah. They actually shut it down this year. Yeah. They shut it down this year and uh, had, a, had a long life. Um, but I like the name, the Mindbender, for this next safety uh, safety step because I like to think of it as mind the bends. Number two is watch your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. More specifically, watch for the spiral of your thoughts. You ever been there? All it takes is one thought and down you go, right? It happens real easy. But the thing is, your ability to hold on to hope, your ability to keep holding on, your ability to be hopeful is tied to your thoughts. Your thoughts will either strengthen your grip and your ability to hold on, or they will loosen. Your thoughts will either draw you close to God, or they will cause you to distance yourself from him and his truth. We actually do have some control in this department. And uh, I can't recall if I ever shared this with you before. So if I have, forgive me, you're going to hear it again. Tough luck. Um, when our boys, uh, we have two boys, Everett and Kingston, they are 8 and 11 years old. When they started um, struggling with um, bad dreams and and scary thoughts or bad thoughts. And oftentimes it would be at nighttime, which is interesting to point out. The night season is usually when the thoughts are struggled the most. When they would call me and they say, mommy, I had a bad thought. I had to teach them how to manage their thoughts. Because the thing is, the thoughts are always going to try and come. They're always going to come. But we actually do have control of what we do with them. And so I, I taught them this. I call it the stop, drop, and swap. Maybe I've shared that before. The stop, drop, and swap. And what that looks like is, is this. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So every thought that comes we have the ability and the responsibility to capture it. So stop it. Hold that thought up to the word of God, to what he says, to who he is. And if it aligns, wonderful. If it doesn't, it's time to drop it. The thing is, when we drop that thought, if it's a bad thought, if it's something that's contrary to his word, you almost have to picture it like a dirty diaper, you know? You know those, those, um, those videos of, of guys who are just like holding their hands like this? And they're just running because those things are nasty and they smell. Picture the thought like a dirty diaper. It's your, you need to drop, you need to get it out, you need to get it in the garbage, you need to drop it. The problem is, though, if you do not replace that thought with a stronger thought, with something that is more powerful, guess what you're going to do? 
you're going to pick it up, you're going to bring it back, and guess what you're going to do? You start the spiral. So you have to stop, drop, and then you need to swap. And what does that mean? Philippians 4.8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. We have to swap those thoughts with things that are true. Well, guess what? There's only one place where we can get words and thoughts that are stronger, that are true, that are only truth, and that's here. So in order to keep that thought or those thoughts, those negative thoughts, those helpless thoughts, those hopeless thoughts, those thoughts that cause you to want to give up, break down, let go, We have to swap them for stronger thoughts. We have to swap them with the word of God. Watch your thoughts. Last one, number three, watch your words. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you say is a reflection of what you truly believe inside. And, uh, Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. What comes out of your mouth will either kill hope or keep it alive. For yourself and for others, for those around you. And I am so guilty of this. So, so guilty of this. Brett can attest to you, this is one of my bigger struggles. I am so quick to allow words to escape my mouth that don't speak truth, that don't speak life, that speak out of the abundance of my emotion and not truth. Now hear me very clearly though. I am not saying hide your feelings. I'm not saying be dishonest about your situation or to to stuff your feelings down. No, that's unhealthy. Don't do that. If you read in the Psalms, David, a man after God's own heart, is like you can you can literally watch the roller coaster of his life and his emotions and his hope play across every page. And all you see is this as you read through the Psalms, and he is very honest and he's very upfront with what he's experiencing and what he's feeling. But here's the thing: here's what David always did, and you can read it and find it every single time. He always came back around to declaring what he knew to be true about God. He always brought himself back around. Regardless of how he felt, regardless of the situation he was in, regardless of how hopeless it seemed, he never stayed in that place of verbalizing hopelessness. He always brought it back around. And over the last year or so, I have watched people, specifically in our church family, who I care about deeply, navigate grief and loss and pain. And you know what has blessed and challenged my my heart the most is this one thing that I've watched them all do, this beautiful common thread that has allowed them to continue to walk in hope, 
to keep going every day, it all comes back to this one statement that I've heard these different individuals and families say, and it's this, but God is so good. God is so good. This is how we hold on to hope, is that we continue to speak the truth about who he is and what he does and who he says he is in the midst of it all. It's not about denying. It's about declaring what is still true in spite of it all. We watch our hands, we watch our thoughts, and we watch our words. This is how we maintain hope. This is how we stay hopeful. And you might think, why in the world is this so important? When I was looking into that Oilers merchandise from eight years ago. I saw this one guy's post and he's wearing a Hope Will Never Die t-shirt. And, and they had him standing next to a wall that said this. It said, the world needs more Edmonton. Okay, sure. I don't know about that. I mean, I think Edmonton's great. But what I do know is this, the world needs more Jesus. The world needs hope. And the world needs a church that is full of hope. And if we don't know how to navigate the situations and the circumstances of life and still remain hopeful, And we aren't the light that the world needs. Scripture says we are the light that shines in the darkness. And there's a whole lot of darkness out there. as I was thinking about this message last night. I felt like the Lord put in my heart this bonus thought. The world needs a church that will pray. This world needs a church that will pray. What does prayer have to do with it? Listen, you don't have to go very far on social media. You don't have to scroll very far or go very far in talking to someone at work or, or at the grocery store or wherever you go to know that there are people who are hurting and there are people who are going through hard things and there are people on social media saying, this is what's happening to me. Please pray, would you pray for me? And do you know what I see in all of the comments as I see comment after comment after comment of people saying, 
sending good thoughts, thinking of you, praying for you. But church, the question is, are we actually praying when we say that? Are we actually taking that that step out beyond the words and praying? Because here, here's the thing. What if the answer to someone else's struggle is on the other side of your prayer? What if the answer to someone's hopelessness or helplessness or miracle is on the other side of that prayer? Hope shows up when we pray. Hope is dispatched when we pray. Philippians 1.19 says the apostle, it's the apostle Paul talking and he said this regarding a situation that he was facing. He said, for I know that as you pray for me and the spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Church, what if we were a church that prayed, that really prayed, that every time you saw a post, the first thing you did, your first instinct was to pray. That every time you knew that someone in this family, in this body was struggling or hurting, that you made a commitment to pray. It's so much easier to say than it is to do and to be committed to prayer but we are living in a world that is screaming for hope, that is screaming for Jesus, that is screaming for answers, that is screaming for truth, that is screaming for the miraculous hand of God. And for them to see it, we have to live it. We have to exemplify it. We have to exude it. We have to walk in hope. We have to walk full of hope. And we have to be willing to pray and release hope into their situation. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Saints Church Podcast. We're so glad that you took some time out of your day to study scripture with us. We'd love to get in touch. You can find us online at saintschurch.ca. If you have any questions, send us an email. We'd love to connect with you and your family. And if you're in the Edmonton area, come on by. We'd love to see you.